remember um, the movie Meet the Robinsons. I don't know if you remember that movie, but some of you do. Um, great movie. It's, it's about a, a boy who uh, likes to invent things, and he goes through a lot of failures, as you can imagine inventors do, but through the end, he ends up succeeding. And at the end of that movie, the producer showed a Walt Disney quote which said, and I don't know when this was, Walt Disney back in the 30s and 40s, that's when things really started to get going. But he made a quote that said this, Around here, however, we do not look backwards for very long. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things. Because we're curious, and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. But I want to focus on... That second line, we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. Back to our theme of lessons from the Red Sea. Walt Disney's quote just kind of leads us into our sixth lesson that we have this morning. Lessons from the Red Sea, quick review. If you're, not, if you're just joining us for the first time, I don't know who was a guest for the first time. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the storms of life. We've been talking about the crises of life, the things that you and I go through that we didn't really anticipate. They just hit us all of a sudden out of the blue. We didn't do anything to, to get into this storm, but for some reason we find ourselves in the middle of a difficulty. And the things that we've learned so far is, number one, that you are exactly where God wants you to be come to that realization that, believe it or not, God does say in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So you are exactly where, you, where God wants you to be. Second was ask the right questions. Learn to ask, how can God be glorified through my storm? How can God be glorified through my difficulty? Number three is know who the enemy is. You've got to know who the enemy is because he is trying to defeat all of us during our difficult times. But then we said, but then also keep your eyes on Jesus. The fourth lesson that we learned was pray. Pray. I won't go into all of that, but pray. Last week we broke it down into three. The fifth lesson was three subgroups was be still. Got to be still before God. Try to hear his voice. Be still. Stand still, as Moses told the Israelites, and see the salvation of the Lord. So many times in our storms, we just want to run around and try and take care of this mess ourselves. And God, many times, is saying, be still. Give God time to work and be confident. So which leads us to our sixth lesson today. You don't have to turn there. It's real quick. I'll have it up on the screen. Exodus 14, 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Go forward. The Israelites were standing on the edge of the Red Sea and they were standing on the verge of collapse. You know the story, we've been talking about it for a good while now. They were paralyzed in fear, they were unsure of what to do. And the Mo- Moses has just told the Israelites, I find this interesting, if you, if you uh, read this account, he had just told the Israelites to stand still, wait and see the salvation of the Lord. These 
Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again for as long as you live. He had just told them these things. Now he's going before God and God saying, Moses, why are you crying out to me? I had a feeling that Moses, he said these things, but he too was afraid. He too was scared of what he and they were facing. And God's saying, look, why are you crying out to me? I'm telling you now, tell the children of Israel to move forward, to go forward. Not backwards, not sideways, but forward. Before we really delve into this sixth lesson, I want to look at some events, though, of another biblical giant that we all know, um, I want to look at the life of Elijah and some events that took place about 600 to 700 years after the Red Sea experience. Many of you know the story of Elijah. King Ahab was king over Israel. And the Bible tells us that he did evil, more evil than all the kings that were before him. And to pronounce judgment on the land of Israel, and on King Ahab, God sent Elijah to do several amazing, awe-inspiring, highly visible things. Now, I want to highlight that. He used Elijah to perform many awe-inspiring, highly visible miracles and events. At first, he sent a drought. If you were to read that account, we read this yesterday at home for some devotions, and if you read that account, it said that God said through Elijah to tell King Ahab, I'm sending a drought upon this, this land. For many years, there will be no dew and no rain. Now, catch that, no dew. There will not even be any dew. The little beads of water that you see on the flowers or the plants, there wouldn't even be that. So here we see God using Elijah in an incredible way. Secondly, you remember that God provided for Elijah and he told Elijah to go to the brook, the brook Cherith. And there he said, I will let you drink from that brook and I will send the ravens. <laughs> um, I won't say that. I don't want to embarrass her. Never mind. Um, I will send the ravens to send you meat and bread. I don't know if the meat was cooked or if he had to cook it, but God sent ravens with meat and bread, a highly visible, awe-inspiring event. Then God sent Elijah to the widow. You might remember that. And he walked, he came into the widow's uh, home, their property, and he knocked on the front door and basically said, I want you to feed me, give me some water. And he had no idea that she was getting ready to make their last meal for herself and her little boy, and then they were going to die. Because of the drought, there was no more water, no more food. She barely had enough flour, barely had enough oil to make one more meal. And then she said, after this, we are going to go die. Of all the gall, of all the arrogance for Elijah to say, no, I want you to make it to me, for me first. And then he said, if you do this, you will find that your flour will never end. Your jar of oil will always be full. And she obeyed, and she listened, and she gave him his request. And for many days, it says that the flour never ran out, and the jar of oil never ran out. An incredibly visible, awe-inspiring event, right? Then we see where Elijah's son, or the widow's son, dies. It says that 
that Elijah laid on this boy and prayed many times in the upper room and God brought breath back into the life of this boy. Another awe-inspiring, highly visible miracle that Elijah was a part of. And fifth, we have the showdown at Mount Carmel. How can we forget that story? There were 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, Versus Elijah. That's 950 to 1. The odds are not very good. But once again, God showed up in an incredible way. If you remember the story, Elijah said, Look, I've had it. I've had it with your bales and your ashes. We're going to determine what God is God once and for all. You make an altar over here of, of a burnt, of a sacrificed uh, animal and cut up the bones and put all it put it on the wood and, and uh, uh, build stones around it, and I'll do one myself. And he said, now you cry out to your gods of Baal and see if they will come down with fire and consume the sacrifice. You know the story. It says that for hours and hours until the midday, they cried out to Baal and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Eventually cut themselves, and which was their custom, the Bible says. They did everything they could do and nothing happened. You know the story. Elijah then stepped forward. He said, God of all gods, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what happened. But what I find is interesting. It says that God sent fire from heaven and it consumed. It, don't, it didn't consume just the sacrifice. It didn't consume just the wood. It consumed, it said, the stone. Around the altar. Can you, I mean, we use stones to build fire pits. We use those big stones. It says it just pulverized them. It says that it consumed the stones. It consumed the dust. It consumed all the water. There were um, about 12 pitcherfuls of water. I mean, these are like 20, 30 gallon pitchers that they used back in those days. This was a very costly experiment because there was a drought in the land. And they took 12 of those 20 to 30 gallon pitchers and they just poured it. And it says it just ran over. And there was a, like a little moat around the sacrifice, around the altar. And it says the water was falling. And when God showed up in an awe-inspiring, highly visible event, it says that it licked up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, the water. It was gone. Highly visible, awe-inspiring event. And then it says that Elijah had all the prophets killed. All the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the rains returned. Elijah sent a servant and said, go look over the, over the hill. Is there any clouds yet? And uh, several times, I believe it was the seventh time that the servant came back and said, all I see is a cloud about the size of a hand. And Elijah said, it's coming. God is now sending the rain. But there's one thing that I read this morning I'd never really picked up on before. Um, I want to read this. You don't have to turn there. But as the rains came, listen to this. It says, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. And there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. So he's on his horse, he's in his chariot, and I'm telling you, the rains were coming. They were heavy, and so they had to get ahead of the rains. So I'm sure they were flying on their horse, flying in their chariot. 
I don't know how many of you get into superheroes and things like that, or Iron Man or Superman or Batman or all that, but there's a superhero named Flash. And Flash, he can move just like that. He can move quicker than lightning practically. Well, I was telling the kids on the way to church this morning, listen up because I'm going to tell you a story about a modern-day Flash. Not a modern-day, but a biblical Flash. It's true. Listen to this, what it says in verse 46. Now, here is Ahab. He's flying down the road, flying down the countryside on his horse and his chariot. And it says, Then the hand of the Lord, or some of your all's uh, versions may see, the God's anointing came upon Elijah. He girded up his, lo- his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He outran a horse. He outran a chariot. God came upon him and anointed him, and he became like a biblical flash right there on the the scene. True story. I don't know that it was like lightning, but all these events, highly visible, awe-inspiring events that happened with, with and through Elijah. He was flying high. Elijah could have run for president and been elected unanimously, I'm sure. But all of that changed when the word of one woman, Jezebel, brought a storm into the life of Elijah. Ahab's wicked wife, Jezebel, she had heard that every, all the things that Elijah had done. She had heard Ahab went to Jezebel and said, Elijah has killed all of our prophets. And so Jezebel sent a messenger directly to Elijah and referring to all those prophets that Elijah had killed, she said this, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She put a bounty out on his head. She was sending assassinators out to get Elijah. And with this word, which is quite amazing, after all that Elijah had done, with this word, what do you think Elijah did? He ran in fear. He was scared to death. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 19, it's a fascinating story, read 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, the Bible tells us that Elijah was on the verge of a mental breakdown. He was spent, he was done mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He, I believe that he was even suicidal because he said, Lord, I alone am left out of all the prophets of the land. Lord, just let me die. And my question to you is, have you ever been there? Elijah spent the next 40 days in hiding. Perhaps he asked some of the questions that we ask. I said we ask the wrong questions sometimes. Perhaps he asked questions like, God, where are you? Why are you not answering and showing up like you did in all those highly visible, awe-inspiring events? God, what do I do next? God, where are you? Perhaps he was spoiled. He's used to God showing up in these incredible ways. And now it seems that God is silent and Elijah doesn't know what to do. And I ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I'm sure you have. 
1 Kings 19, 11 through 13 says this. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. He, notice that's capitalized, so that's God. God is talking to Elijah. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Wow, what an event that was. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I said a still, small voice. See, in order to hear me, we have to be still. We have to be quiet. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. You see, Elijah was desperate to hear from God. And before he knew it, he was standing on this mountain. God sends a strong wind, but... God himself was not in the wind. He sent that earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. He sent the fire, but he wasn't in the, in the fire. And after all of nature's fury had come and gone, Elijah heard a still, small voice. And that's when he heard God's voice. But folks, recognize that it was the still, small voice. I believe last week is whenever I said one of the things that we need to do with lesson number five, be still. Be still. We will not hear from God. We will not get God's direction in life if we are not still in our spirits, trying to sense the still, small voice. Folks, perhaps you're in a storm and you're just waiting For God to show up in a profound way. You're waiting for God to show up like Elijah in those awe-inspiring, highly visible events. Stephen Curtis Chapman years ago sings a song or sang a song that says, Are you waiting for lightning? A sign that it's time for a change. Are you listening for thunder while he quietly whispers your name? Most of the time, all we need to do is listen for the still, small voice of God. But we're so busy, we're so much noise in our life, and I say ours because I'm with you on that. But when Elijah did this, he was able to grasp onto the sixth lesson today. And I'm going to break this down as quickly as I can. Again, there's just three parts, three subgroups to lesson number six. From Elijah's story, we can get our sixth lesson from the Red Sea. Number one, do not fear. Kind of hit on this before. In our storm, and our crisis, in our difficulty, it's so easy to fear. In 1949, communists overran China, and this lady here, missionary Isabel Kuhn, she escaped on foot with her young son. She finally arrived in Upper Burma, but soon found herself stranded with no money, unable to speak the language, and still half a globe away from home. She said, quote, I cannot tell you the dismay and the alarm that filled me. 
It was then that she made a critical decision. She had to face her fears, recognize where they were coming from, bind them and cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ. And then she made this quote here. The only fear that a Christian should entertain is the fear of sin. Oh, that's good. All other fears are from Satan sent to confuse and weaken us. Some of you need to write that down. Some of you need to bring that to memory or say that to memory. The only fear, boy, it sounds easy to say, doesn't it? The only fear Christians should entertain is the fear of sin. All other fears are from Satan sent to confuse and weaken us. Where does fear originate? Where does fear originate? In the mind. In the mind. While the human mind is capable of incredible things, we do not have the ability or power to overcome every fear, every obstacle, every situation. There will be times, especially in our storms of life, when situations will be out of our control and our help and we will be almost overcome with fear and hear the spirit of God say through Timothy for God is not the one who has given us a spirit of fear but he is the one that gives us a spirit of power love and of self-control amen amen just that you're still with me he's given us a spirit of power God has given us all the ability to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, fully given on the day of Pentecost. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is to help you and I overcome our fears through the power that He gives us. When we then have that power, we experience the Holy Spirit's power. We are then able to control our mind, thus controlling our fears. But know up front that the fear factor must be dealt with first. So that's our first subgroup this morning under lesson number six. In our storms and after we have dealt with our fears, number two, and this is not going to sound like an incredibly profound thing, but I think it can be very profound. Take the next logical step. Take the next logical step. Some of you are saying, Pastor, that don't sound very spiritual. Listen, rarely will God tell us in advance what His long-range plans are for our life. If you've been in the way very long, you would have to say amen to that. Rarely will God tell us in advance what His long-range plans are for our lives. We talked about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud pillar of fire by night that led, led the Israelites. When the, when the cloud just stayed over the camp, they stayed. They had no choice. They had to stay. When the cloud went before them, then they would pack up and they would leave. Don't you wish that we had a visible sign like that to live with every day of our life? That would make life so much easier. But it wouldn't produce what? Faith. It wouldn't produce faith. Many times, God simply wants us to take the next logical step. 19th century expositor C.H. McIntosh said this, God never gives guidance for two steps at a time. I must take one step and then I get light for the next. 
This keeps the heart in abiding dependence upon God. Look, most of our lives, really all of our lives, will be a day-to-day relationship with God. We can even see this in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And when Jesus talked about that right there, Luke 11.3, when he said, give us this day our daily bread, we can even see this fact in, in that part of the scripture. What did he really mean by that? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, listen, let me break this down for you. Jesus' words at this time in history, in that culture and in society, could have been taken literally. You see, his words were a reference to when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And God provided. Now, I just, I don't know if this is what it looked like, but to me, that's maybe what manna looked like. I saw a picture of that on the internet. I said, wonder that we have no idea what manna looks like. But every day, God would provide manna for the people. They said it was almost like coriander seed. It was like a, some kind of a little cake that was baked in oil. And every day, every morning, the Israelites would wake up and the, and the earth, the ground was just covered in manna. But what's amazing about that is that manna could not be stored or kept because it would rot. You read through the scriptures, the Old Testament, it tells us that. So because they couldn't keep it, because they couldn't store it, they had to eat it that day. And the Israelites had to literally rely upon God every day of their life. In the day of Jesus, salt was used to help preserve Food, But for the most part, gathering and acquiring food was a major task every day. Every day. But what Jesus was trying to get them to realize that if you are going to follow Jesus, if you are going to survive, he's saying, look, you need to look to me every single day. They needed to look to Jesus. They needed to trust him. They needed to rely on him. Listen to what he said. Jesus said in John 6.31. He said, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 48, Jesus says, For I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. And he said, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Listen. Every day, we need to live in a practical dependence and reliance upon God to give us our daily bread. Christian author Robert J. Morgan tells how during a particular difficult time in his life, he was having a hard time sleeping. He determined that he was being plagued by fear over a number of issues in his life. So what he did is he got up and he identified four areas that he was struggling with. And then he asked the logical question based on the insight, based on being still before God, based on hearing God's voice, his still, small voice. 
he asked himself, what little step can I take right now that will help resolve these issues? Through God's leading, one issue required a phone call. One required a decision. A third decision needed a conversation with someone. And the fourth was a simple matter of scheduling it on the calendar. You see, he took the next logical step. From what God was telling him, what God was revealing to him. See, this could be a very profound thing for somebody. We are never sure what will happen a year from now, but taking the next logical step is often more obvious than we think. Our problems many times stems from us trying to figure things out too far down the road instead of focusing on the next step, and I find myself doing that often. If you're in a storm and a crisis, you do not know where to go or what to do next. Make up your mind to prayerfully take the next step. Take the next logical step. And lastly, the third point. It's not going to blow you away. You're going to to want your money back after today, perhaps after this third point. Do not fear. Take the next logical step and believe. And believe. James chapter 1 says, ask God for wisdom. If, if, if you need wisdom, to ask it of God and he will give it to you liberally. But then he says, but do not doubt. Do not doubt what God is going to show you. Do not be like a double-minded person who is unstable in all of their ways. In this process, maybe this is where somebody needs to be today. Believe. Sometimes God gives us outward signs in life, especially uh, maybe in our younger days as a Christian. He, he makes it obvious. He makes it awe-inspiring. Perhaps he makes it highly visible. But sooner or later, I believe that God will give us less and less visible signs. You might not want to hear that. But as we grow in our faith, he'll give us less and less signs, but he will expect more. He will expect more faith and more trust. I thought this was a good statement when I heard somebody say, we must not doubt in the darkness what God has showed us in the light. We must not doubt in the darkness what God has shown us in the light. Look, often in life storms we will look for the profound, the awe-inspiring, the highly visible hand of God those signs that will make it unmistakable. Sometimes God moves like this. Many times He doesn't. But God is looking for those who will trust Him enough to be satisfied with just taking the next logical step in faith. The Israelites, when they were scared and didn't know what to do next, God told them, do not fear. I'm telling you to move forward. That's the next logical step. Believe and trust that he would carry them safely forward. I end with this quick little story. Um, I think uh, Luis, you can come up at this time, Luis, and uh, we're going to have you and Mandy uh, I'll play a song. I thank Louise for filling in for Joyce this morning. But 
in the late 1800s, there was a medical student named William Osler. William Osler. He was running himself ragged, worrying about the future, graduating from school, starting to practice, making a living. Then one day he read 21 words that drastically changed his life. These 21 words changed him forever. And after reading it, this young man went on to become one of the most famous physicians of his era. He organized the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine that we know of in the United States. He became Regis Professor of Medicine at Oxford, and he even became knighted by the King of England. What are those 21 words? I could be cruel and say, come back next week and I'll tell you. But I won't, I won't do that. By the way, Diane, or, uh, Darlene Diebler-Rose, she is still yet to come, so her story will yet be coming. But these 21 words, this simply. Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. You're like, that's it? When you grasp onto that, when I grasp onto that in the Spirit of the Lord, there's a powerful truth there. Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance. Don't kill yourself trying to fret about all the things of the future, the things that we do not know, we may never know, but do what lies clearly at hand. You see, when we look to God daily to provide for our needs, we soon come to realize that really what we need is more of Him. Right? What we need is more of Jesus. That at the very core of our being is to know Jesus That is essential to our existence. And only Jesus can truly satisfy. This morning, do not fear. Perhaps God is putting a logical step in front of you and you need to take it and then believe in God. Would you stand with me please and let's pray. Father God, Thank you. You're speaking to Brock as much as you are to anyone here. And Lord, I thank you that your word is many, many things. But one of the things that it is, it's practical. God, we need something to live by every day of our life because Jesus, you told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread reminding us that every day, every hour of every day, every minute of every day, every second of every day, we must rely upon you to give us our daily bread, to give us what we need, to provide for us, to give us what our soul thirsts for and our heart longs for. And only Jesus, you can satisfy that. Thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, um, this
This morning we sing a simple song. And perhaps there's someone here this morning that just needs to stop being in fear, take the next logical step, and then trust and believe that you're in it. May we all still our hearts and still our worlds and our lives and will we become still so that we can hear your still small voice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.